0: This week's podcast is a little out of the ordinary. I'm out in California visiting the Hoover Institution, and the start of my visit coincided with Major League Baseball's All-Star Game in downtown San Francisco's AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. I thought it might be interesting to explore the market for tickets to the game, a rare bit of fieldwork for an economist. I've always been interested in the market for tickets to concerts and sporting events, particularly in cases where the event's sold out, yet tickets are still available on the street if you really want to go. Usually, that means paying more than the face value of the ticket, what's often called scalping. A word like gouging, which has a strong moral implication. Yet when a ticket changes hands voluntarily, why do we judge it as an immoral act, and sometimes it's an illegal one? Where's the harm? If I value seeing an event more than you do, and you have the ticket, and you sell the ticket to me for more than you paid for it, both of us are better off. In recent years, a lot of cities have legalized the resale of tickets at a price above the face value. Some sports teams have created their own websites to make it easier for ticket holders to resell their tickets. The existence of websites such as eBay, StubHub, and Craigslist made it easier to buy and sell tickets. And it made it much harder and, I guess, sillier to try and stop those transactions on the street. What follows is a set of interviews I conducted with people outside of AT&T Park a few hours before the All-Star Game. Among the people I'll be talking to are Alex, a scalper I met outside the ballpark last summer when I wanted to take my family to a Giants game. Now, Alex is a new breed of scalper. He doesn't even like being called a scalper, not for moral reasons or embarrassment, but because he believes, and I think he's right, that what he's doing is somehow different from what we traditionally think of as scalping. Alex worked with ticket brokers, people who buy large blocks of tickets at face value, and then try and resell them on the street or through other more formal networks, using people like Alex to do the legwork. Unlike an individual scalper who buys low, hoping to sell high, and puts his own capital at risk, people like Alex will earn anywhere from 25 to 50% commission from the brokers they receive their tickets from and this explains a phenomenon i've seen it at a lot of sporting events where you walk up to a scalper and rather than having one or two tickets to sell he's got a raft of tickets he's got 50 or 60 tickets in the case of the all-star game ticket brokers bought large blocks of season tickets to the games of the san francisco giants knowing that season ticket holders would be entitled to buy all-star game tickets at face value. As we'll see, those tickets were worth a lot more than face value come game time and the hours before. I hope you like this change of pace from the usual style of econ talk. Feel free to let me know, and if you don't like it, we'll be back next week with the standard interview format. I want to start this podcast with two personal stories of scalping. Story number one. About 20 years ago, my wife and I took a trip to New York City. Reading the paper on the bus in from Newark Airport into Manhattan, we noticed there was a matinee of Les Mis, a new musical we'd heard good things about. We headed straight for the theater with our suitcases, only to discover it was sold out. Not to worry," said the intrepid economist. "There are always tickets to be had for a price, but the only tickets for sale on the street outside the theater weren't together, and the seller wanted two hundred dollars for the pair. Now, the best seat in the house in those days was less than fifty bucks. $200 was an enormous sum for the assistant professor I was in those days. We just couldn't justify spending that much money to sit alone. I offered him less, but he wouldn't budge. Then I noticed a young woman near the curb who kept scanning the horizon while clutching two tickets in her hand. Want to sell those, I asked. No, she said. I- I'm waiting for a friend. Five minutes before the show began, the sidewalk began emptying out. Our chances of getting a ticket were dwindling. That woman near the curb was still waiting. "'Your friend hasn't shown up yet,' I said to her. "'I'll give you a hundred bucks for the two tickets, "'and you can take your friend to dinner.' "'Is it sold out?' she asked. "'Yes,' I said. "'It's our only chance to see the show.' She wasn't looking at me. She was still searching the streets for her friend. But I saw a moment of hesitation. I took six $20 bills and fanned them out in front of her. "'How about $120?' I asked. The speed with which she snatched those bills from my hands startled me. I grabbed the tickets one of the suitcases, and my wife's hand. Hurry! We raced into the theater just as the lights went down. We watched the first act from the aisle by the doorway of the upper balcony. Our luggage at our feet. At the end of that act, they seated us. We found ourselves in the last row of the highest balcony in a theater that seated almost 2,000 people. But after the uncertainty of not knowing whether we'd get in at all, even the last row made those $120 tickets one of the great bargains of a lifetime. It was exhilarating. What a show. The young woman did okay, too. When the lights came up at intermission, I noticed for the first time that the tickets were special tickets for students. The face value was something like $8. I bet she enjoyed that dinner with her friend almost as much as we enjoyed the show. Story number two. I'm living in St. Louis, and I want to take my five-year-old son to a Cardinals game. But all the good seats are sold out. The only seats available are center field and the upper deck. Center field and the upper deck at the old Bush Stadium is not like the upper balcony for Le It's more like watching the game on TV. A small TV. So I'm going to try and get scalped. It's illegal, but they are usually people wanting to make a few bucks on tickets they can't use. I'm holding my son's hand. He's clutching his baseball glove. And I'm holding up two fingers. The universal sign for victory, peace... And in a town where scalping is illegal, holding up two fingers is the discreet way to say, I need two tickets. A man comes over to my son and me. You need two tickets? Yes, I reply. What do you want for them, I ask. Here, he says, ignoring my question and handing me two tickets. Enjoy. We did. We enjoyed the game, and our benefactor got the pleasure of seeing the face of a five-year-old light up with anticipation. Now back to the present. And the 2007 All-Star Game at AT AT&T Park in San Francisco. Okay, we're sitting about uh, three blocks from AT&T Park on All-Star Game Tuesday. I'm sitting here with Alex, who's a retailer. He's not a ticket scalper. He will tell you there's a difference between scalping and retailing. And I want to ask him a few questions about his business, and in particular about the All-Star Game and the pricing of tickets. Uh, You're not a scalper, Alex?
1: I try not to be a scalper. A scalper is initially a person who would come to an event with little or no money and or tickets and try to extract the tickets from the crowd at a low price and turn around and sell them at a higher price. The primary role that I play is I act as a representative uh, of ticket brokers the people who have businesses and ads in the yellow pages and the websites that you uh, browse. And when they have the event that's at 7 p.m. and it's 5 o'clock and their office is 500 miles away in a different city, what do they do with the last 12 tickets that they have out of the batch of 100 that they had purchased initially, for instance? So I'm the guy who takes those tickets on consignment for them and then tries to uh, remarket them to the to the people coming to the game. So that first guy's an amateur and you're a professional. I would say that I, I deal in quantity. Um, I also do it to the point where I have have the ability to develop clientele. Um, one of the fears that I personally have, when you buy tickets directly from some person walking up the street, you have to make a character judgment of them. Um, is that ticket valid, be it counterfeit or whatever? Has the ticket been used already where... When if you were to turn around and resell it, that person would take it to the gate, and that person would be refused, and then they're coming back with you know the police or security with them to deal with you. So uh, knowing that my tickets come from a source kind of allows me uh, uh, to operate on a different level. But I met
0: you on the street last year. I was looking uh, for six tickets to a to a Giants game, and I didn't know you from Adam. You didn't know me from Adam. Incidentally, the right before we met you, I uh, had one of the great uh, encounters where that I met another ticket seller who said to me that the game was sold out and that I should pay a premium, which he was asking. And, uh, I said, I don't think it's sold out. He said, no, it's sold out. He goes, why would I lie to you? And even my 12 year old son knew that, that he had a motive to lie to me. Which, so I walked away from that guy and I walked up to you and, and you had a couple of tickets, I think for very good seats, more than we wanted to pay for our kids aren't worth it. Uh, it turns out, uh, for those tickets. And, uh, but I didn't know you, you didn't, how would I know that your, your
1: tickets weren't, you know, scalp, not scalp, but invalid, counterfeit? Well, uh, I, I combat that, that exact scenario all the time. Um, the first one, I would say, is presentation. I could bring you a meal out and a dirty paper plate that the hamburger's been stepped on, and it's not going to be too appetizing or pleasant. Yet, if I give you that same meal and I put it on a fine piece of china, um, you're, you're going to look at it in a far better light. I love to give people my business card. Uh, I feel that that helps to legitimize it. Additionally, I'm not the typical ticket seller you would come across on the street. So that, that normally takes people off guard. It gives you some credibility. Uh, yeah, it gives, gives me credibility, which I certainly use. And I, I just look people in the eyes, I, I try to ex- answer their questions to the fullest. I'm very knowledgeable about not only the, the facility itself, so that if someone who, who asks me a question, is it sold out or is this ticket on the upper deck, I'm never going to be caught saying, oh yeah, this is the best seat in the house when it's an upper deck seat because I, I know the building. I have no r- real reason to lie because ultimately a repeat customer makes my life a thousand times easier than trying to establish that relationship time and time again.
0: So let's talk about this game and, and the, the, the market for tickets for a high-demand event like this. Now, basically, do you know how many seats there are in uh, AT&T Park, roughly? Um, well,
1: the numbers that I recall, about 44,000 tickets are sold to the building. That does not mean that there are 44,000 seats. A portion of those <laughs> are standing-room-only seats. Um, and are, they, are they special for this event? Um, Typically, they'll only begin selling standing room only seats on either sold out events, like when the uh, Yankees were here about a month ago or the Dodger weekend or opening day. But for like a Tuesday night game against the Diamondbacks, they would not uh, sell standing room only tickets. So
0: there's about 44,000, maybe a little bit more uh, spaces in the stadium. And there are a lot more than 44,000 people that want to see this game. Even at the face prices. The face prices for the tickets are what, 150 for standing
1: room or 125? 125 for standing room. I want to say the, the high end for field club, which would be infield seats, waiter, waitress service in seats, first 20 rows uh, from first base around home plate uh, to third base, are probably 400 ish. Um, and what are they going for on the open market? Uh, As we saw earlier, some of them are, the asking price are north of $3,000 per ticket. Um, The market fluctuates, and I try to tell people, you know, if you think three months before the event, the tickets may be $10,000 a seat, but after the event, when you're going home, that ticket stub in your pocket is is worth zero. And somehow, there's a line on a graph where it goes from $10,000 as the time goes to zero at the end of the event so what you try to do is catch it on that downslope and the uh, majority of events you'll be able to get tickets um, as the price falls case in point you can even take a look at the uh... the history of what's been selling for the all-star game and the ticket prices today for standing room only are far cheaper than the ticket prices were a month ago
0: so we got some people who were uh... anxious willing to pay a premium for a ticket a month ago i think some of the amateur sellers see those high prices and think, well, if I can get $300 today, a month before, wow,
1: an hour before the game, I'm going to make a killing. But it does not work that way, does it? It doesn't necessarily work that way. There are times um, there was a Super Bowl, I want to say the one in Detroit, where a a get-in seat, the market, the the 24 to 48 hours before the event, the market shot up. So there are situations where it can go either way. What I'm... Uh, very confident in saying is, the majority of the time, probably close to 90% of the time, across all events, concerts, sports, theater, you name it, the ticket prices typically dip um, the closer you get to the event.
0: Now this game, the first pitch is at 542 uh, Pacific Standard Time, Pacific Daylight Time I guess, and uh, will there be tickets available at 543 or will the market clear before the game starts?
1: Uh, Based on my observations, I would say that at about an hour past the start of the game, printed on the ticket says 5 p.m. start, yes, first pitch is at 5.42 for television, but at at about 6 o'clock, that's when you would have to start dealing with customers who are going to start to say, well, the, the event's already started. When it's two minutes after the start of the event or three minutes after the start of the event, it's really, it's starting now. Um, there's really not a perception that I've missed a whole lot. Um, with a baseball game, I always tell people the inning that matters is the ninth inning. That's when they decide who wins and loses. So yes, it may be the sixth inning, but the game's not over. Going into so, so
0: you've been out on the street with a ticket that did not, that you did not sell or that you perhaps priced incorrectly, uh, trying to get rid of it.
1: There's there's been instances where I've been uh, here very very late, uh, but I, what I try to do. I I look at the people who supply me the tickets. These big, large ticket brokers that invest millions of dollars and have very strong relationships with the different organizations that they get tickets from, they've had those tickets in their hand for months and months and months. And if you think about a a Tuesday night Rockies game in April when school hasn't let out and it's a, a cold, foggy night in San Francisco. If they can't sell those tickets in three months, what's their expectation of me being able to sell them in two hours? Because I r- truly only have those tickets in my hand for two hours prior to the event.
0: But along with these brokers that you deal with, you will occasionally, I assume, uh, work work the street. You'll get tickets from somebody. Uh, you told me earlier today you had an encounter with somebody.
1: Correct. I mean, there's certain events that it's like, you know, there are less tickets than human beings that want to attend it things like opening day or like when the Yankees were here uh, occasionally also I will take a look at what's what's on the market inventory wise and I can see hey the Friday night there's tons of tickets on the market but for some reason that Saturday game be it the it's a bobblehead giveaway or some other fireworks night um, some other reason that the market is good for a p- particular events based on my experience I will try to forecast and if if it makes sense to buy tickets, I'll try to buy them as cheaply as I possibly can, and then just
0: turn them around, make as big a profit as you can. Now, what um, what events have you worked at besides something like this All Star Game that are that are interesting? Um, the well, let me ask a different question. Let me ask it a different way. What's the most you've ever sold a ticket for uh, that you can tell me about?
1: Well, that, that's actually kind of a trick question because. <laughs> If I told you I sold a ticket that had a face value for fifty dollars for a thousand, that that's pretty extreme. That's pretty good. But if I told you I sold a four thousand dollar ticket for eight thousand dollars, that's it's
0: not quite as exciting. Maybe I don't know. They're both interesting. Have you sold a fifty dollar ticket for a thousand?
1: I've come pretty close. <laughs> what was that for? Do you remember? Uh, typically, the events where um, you can make that that incredible profit on are smaller events in small clubs where the key to to success there is being able to get your hands on the tickets be it through having signed up for the appropriate email list through different radio stations or different venues and paying attention to that thing which means sitting in front of the computer and checking your email at seven in the morning because something may be going on sale at eight a.m. so it's it's really an issue of timing that particular show was a show of um, Kevin Spacey in conjunction with the movie um, of Bobby Darren that came out about two years ago. Oh, yeah, Beyond, uh, Beyond the Beyond Sea. Beyond the Sea, correct. And it was one of those $30 tickets that, of course, it's a it's a movie star doing something that, you know, you never think to see Kevin Spacey singing it for you live. So there was a lot of demand. Um, where, where, where was that event? Uh, at a club in San Francisco called the Bimbos 365 Club.
0: I'm actually a big fan of Beyond the Sea, the song, it's Bobby Darren's song where he sang it. And uh, when that movie came out, I always thought, this is Kevin Spacey singing, this is going to be awful. But that arrangement and his version of it is quite spectacular, actually. I wouldn't have paid a thousand dollars, but I would have liked to have seen that. <laughs> I had
1: every intention when I bought the tickets to actually go see it, because it would be a cool thing to see. But at a certain point in time, the market just kept going up, ratcheting up. and... and just like when the World Series, the Giants were in the World Series, it came to a point where it's like, is it really worth it to sit in that seat for the event when I can put a sizable sum of money in my pocket?
0: Uh, the old idea of opportunity cost. We did an earlier podcast on this issue of whether somebody who lost the ticket would be willing to, to uh, pay the price on the street. And often a person who has a ticket will, will want to attend the, the event. Uh, but if, even though they're going to forego the amount they could get from selling it. But when you ask them to put the money out of pocket, they say, are you kidding? I'd never pay a $1,000 to go see it. But Alex here is, of course, a rational man, and he thinks like an economist, evidently, because, as you say, there you want to go to the event, but as it gets more and more expensive to go, you give it some second,
1: you have second thoughts. Yeah, I mean, there's been situations, like, um, I'm a very huge fan of the rock band Pearl Jam, and... When they play in the small clubs, when they do that very, very rarely, and the ticket prices are are enormous, and you can make some money, you can pretty much say, well, I'm going to take the money that will make profit on this small thing. And when they're playing in Topeka, Kansas, where the ticket prices are fifty dollars a piece, I'm going to fly first class to Topeka, Kansas, enjoy the trip, stay in the nicest hotel, sit front row, and it still would be cheaper, and I'd still have money left over in my pocket.
0: You can have a and buy a really, you can have a Pearl Jam iPod.
1: You, you can have it all. You can probably have a meet and greet and follow them to two or three
0: shows. So tell me about your personal experience with this All-Star game. How many tickets roughly have you had and how many have you sold and how many have left?
1: Well, I'm not a season ticket holder for the San Francisco Giants for 2007. And they sold tickets to season ticket holders. And that was pretty much the only way to get your hands on them. Um, short of being involved as a relative of a player or having some connection through Major League Baseball really the tickets only went in season ticket holders hands Um, they did have a lottery for the opportunity to purchase a very small number of the standing room only seats or strips which is a ticket for all the four different events that were happening here in San Francisco this weekend I had submitted my email address to this thinking that I would never get chosen and surprisingly enough I got an email saying that there was a unique url that i could click on and purchase a a a set of tickets a pair um i had asked everyone i know if they had filled out the same form to see if they could be entered in this lottery and nobody had had been chosen of the ones that had filled out the form so i don't know i haven't met another person who had so i had two sets of tickets for all the events um i had sold the home run derby tickets to a client And turned my, I guess, $100 Home Run Derby tickets, sold them each for $350 a piece, very early on. That was the key, that I had these tickets to sell. Um, Aside from that, I came across yesterday, which was uh, the Home Run Derby day, a person who had uh, tickets for the All-Star Game but needed more tickets to the Home Run Derby, and they wanted to trade. So between giving me their uh, their All-Star Game tickets and some cash, I gave him some great home run derby tickets uh far better than the bleachers that he had given me uh, and i had given him far far more he i gave him five he had given me only two tickets so the math worked out and it made sense so here i have this pair of bleachers that have a face value of 150 a piece on them and immediately the first thing i did was post them up on StubHub and all the other broker networks to try to sell them retail where I wouldn't have to work too hard. At about four o'clock, so an hour before the printed start time, if they haven't sold, I'll take them and I'll hit the streets. And since I'm not worried about moving a large sum of tickets, I really only have to find one customer. I don't necessarily have to be so outward with tickets in my hand, screaming, tickets, tickets, and asking people questions. That type of behavior may work for a regular season game, but for an all-star event or high-profile event with the number of uh, security and police officers here, you can't be out in the open doing that. You have to kind of use discretion and go around the corner to conduct your transaction.
0: Well, earlier today, I walked up to a policeman. I asked him if you were allowed to scalp tickets here in San Francisco, and he said, uh, no, but you can. Um, He said that uh, it's against the law, but we don't enforce the law. Except on San Francisco Giant property, meaning presumably the uh, stadium itself. So it is—it's a, a strange market. It is uh, the law is that you can scalp tickets in San Francisco, although it is legislated to be illegal, as far as I can tell. A distinction between law and legislation we talked about in an earlier podcast with Don Boudreau. Um, now, economists have always been big fans. Many—we're we're about the only group that thinks that that what people identify as scalping is really okay because it puts the tickets in the hands of the people who value it the most and we kind of like, economists tend to be fond of that kind of thing. I'm curious, the, the, the world of reselling of tickets has changed dramatically in the last few years. Uh, it used to be it was all a, a, you know, a black market, informal activity, people on street corners. Now two things have changed, at least two things that I know of. One is the teams themselves have gotten into the reselling market. The Giants have their own website where season ticket holders Uh, Ticket holders generally, I guess, can resell tickets. And, of course, StubHub and eBay have changed things. I'm curious if you've noticed that on the street. Have you experienced... How did that change your life and and
1: your activities? A little, a lot, not at all? Well, uh, the customer is certainly more uh, informed. Uh, If I were to think back to when I first started, before things like Craigslist and eBay and and StubHub, I mean, it it was a free-for-all, and that's when people did not have the faith that they could go and attend event. You know, they planned ahead. It was just a different time. Um, it doesn't really affect me too much. I like uh, informed customer. I don't need to take advantage of someone because I'd rather make them happy so that they contact me the next time they need something and, and move forward. And if but,
0: uh, but surely before SubHub, there was a lot more, what we'd call in economics, noise around the distribution of ticket prices. So the the... the f- the number of transactions that would take place, say, of a ticket that was worth $100, you know, would be much wider. There'd be a much bigger range because people weren't, weren't informed. Presumably, the increase in information has narrowed the transaction prices that actually take place on the street.
1: Yeah, the price certainly has been firmed up because the selection offered to a prospective attendee of the event can see like there's twenty guys and they all have the same thing be it a bleacher seat or a standing room only seat and they're all their prices are pretty uh, narrowly uh, ranged there okay i'm
0: across from the stadium
1: it's a little loud here
0: and i'm talking to a gentleman who's selling a very unusual item it's um... These are plastic sleeves for holding your tickets, kind of a souvenir thing, and you get a little ticket uh, lanyards. Tic- you know. Ticket lanyards. and lanyards. How much are they? Oh, we're selling them for ten dollars. Ten dollars. Uh, I heard you can get them for five around the corner.
1: Is that true? Um, I'm not too sure about that. Okay. Well,
0: we hope that's not true. Yeah. Uh, who would buy such a thing?
1: Someone that wants to put a their ticket in a holder. What or? if you What if you don't? But
0: what if you don't have a ticket? It's kind of an interesting souvenir. You can like put your passport in there, your driver's license. You yeah, think? I've seen a, I've seen a lot of people carrying different objects in them.
1: Um, one. One guy had different things.
0: I don't know what it was, but it seemed to be papers. How many do you have there? Um, there's about 30 around my neck. And what are you gonna do if they don't all sell? You're gonna lower the price? Or you're gonna keep them at 10 bucks? Most likely this is the first option. I don't know. It depends. What do you think I'll be able to get them for if I come back in an hour? I'll give it to you for 750. Just okay. you know. if you have some left. I Where'd you get them? them? Huh? Where'd you get them? Um, uh, my uncle actually had these ordered. Him, so cool. game. Well, good luck. Yeah. So
2: so you're you're, you're here for the game, but you don't have a ticket. Right. So what are you going to do? There's a free spot back behind there by McCovey Cove. So I'm going to go over there. I have some friends over there that like to catch baseballs. They're here for every Giants game. I mean, I know people that have caught Bonds's big home runs, the ones that broke Willie Mays and all. So you're going to stand outside. When you say a free spot, you mean you're going to stand outside the stadium? Well, the free spot means you can go in for three innings, but for this event you have to wait in a line. And if the line was shorter earlier, but now it's going to be huge. They also check for they check uh, metal detectors over there. So you either wait in that line or you can go over the bridge to the left and you can see the big screen. That's why I have my binoculars. Oh, that's cool. Are you? Do you live here in the city? Yeah. I um, do. How many games a year do you go to? Uh, well, when they were at the stick and the games were cheaper. I mean, some years I made 25 games, 30 games, but of course tickets were a lot less expensive than they are in this place. So, are you? Gonna, is there a chance you'll buy a ticket today? Not for 250 bucks. How much would you pay? Maybe 100. Okay. Well, but good, well, you'd have to wait till the fifth inning to probably get one for that cheap, and I don't think you're going to do it today because there's just not a lot of tickets floating around like yesterday. Uh, yesterday was the Home Run Derby. Yeah, yesterday was uh, the best deal I saw. Yesterday was a season ticket holder had a hundred fifty dollars seat, in a box seat, for fifty bucks he was selling it. I got it very early yesterday, and uh, this was the deal of the day. But he couldn't even get anybody to grab that. Then I'm sure he did later. For the home run derby or yes. for the yeah. box seat, fifty bucks. Now, well, but this- it was a legitimate ticket because he w- he did have the kind of ticket you get when you're a uh, season ticket holder.
0: Oh. Well, thank you, sir. Jam. Okay, I'm talking with Alex again. We're outside the uh, StubHub, what do we call this? Uh, Last-minute tickets. Last-minute tickets. interesting thing. StubHub's ba- basically an Internet business, but uh, in certain places, more than San Francisco or just here?
1: Correct. They have uh, In a few
0: places, you can pick up a ticket minutes before the game starts. And uh, close to the venue also. Right, which is where we're about, oh, I don't know, maybe a third of a mile from the baseball park. Um, and that's the door closing you here in the background. Uh, I'm asking Alex a, a, a really interesting economics question, which is a lot of venues will price their tickets such that it's worthwhile for brokers to come in and um, buy up a bunch and sell them and a, make a lot of money. So the question is, why doesn't the venue, the artist, whoever it is, make that money? Why do they let ticket brokers
1: make that money? And... Uh,
0: Alex, you have some personal experience. You know something about
1: this? Yeah, you can take a look at a, a venue that, let's say, has a thousand seats, and the very front row, the best seat in the house, is the exact same price as the very worst seat up in the balcony. Um, it comes down to pricing the venue efficiently so does that mean that all the orchestra seats are fifty dollars and all the balcony seats are twenty dollars or is it uh calculated down to the point where we can say the front row is 500 the second row is 490 the third row is 480 etc cetera, etc cetera. so truly there's a price for every single budget out there um when i ask that question to people in the business the standard response i received from them is music's for the people and it Everyone should be able to to go in and pay the same price. You know, we're all going to the show.
0: That's beautiful, except in most things, be it sports, be it a Barbra Streisand concert, be it the Beatles, music is for the people, but the people who are making the music tend to like to make money, and they're giving it away, not to the people often, but to the brokers. So what's that about?
1: Well, it just has to go with how it was to how it is today. You're right. Today, for an on sale, let's say Dave Matthews at Shoreline Amphitheater, not only does the venue sell season tickets that reserve that seat for every single event in that building the entire year, uh, but then a block of tickets are held for the promoters' purposes. There's a block of tickets that are held for the fan club. There's a block of tickets that are sold to the general public. There's a block of tickets that are held to be sold through what's the, the latest thing that you see is the uh, the auctions that take place directly from Ticketmaster in an effort to try to squeeze out the broker business. Um, so they, they're trying, I mean it is shifting away from the people but when asked as to why it is how it is with this in inefficient pricing where one, one ticket price is for the entire building and why it's been that way for years and years and years. The answers that I received were it was done because the music was for everybody. You know, there shouldn't be different classes of people that only the rich people get to sit up front. But,
0: of course, what happens is is that the broker gets the tickets, prices the tickets up front at a much higher price so that uh, the people who have the money or the desire to pay the more larger amount do get those seats. The puzzle is why the venue is willing to sacrifice that money. Now, one answer that economists give is that, I heard this from Earl Thompson at UCLA, is that you, the, the worst situation would be a half-filled theater where the seats in the back are filled, but the ha- the seats in the front are empty. Right, that, we can think of three different half-filled theaters. Half-filled in the front, back empty. Scattered around, half full. And then the worst scenario, the back is full, but nobody's up front. So one argument is, is that you, you, you underprice the best seats for two reasons. One, you don't have to then monitor people sneaking down, which is one of the problems you have if you have only the back filled. Mm -hmm. But the other reason is is that the artist doesn't want the back filled, he wants the front filled. And if the back is filled and the front's filled, the artist gives a lousy concert, it hurts record sales, word of mouth goes around. I don't know if that's true, but that's really the only answer. And And when they say it's for the people, we assume as economists that that's just, that sounds nice, but probably isn't the
1: real reason any thoughts on that well i've seen the buildings where the the back is empty and the front is full and all the different uh, arrangements that you've described um it's my experience that venues are terrible as far as keeping people where they should be in the sense that if the front was completely empty and the back was completely full with people those people in the back would sneak down and would force their way down or you know what sometimes you just stroll down and you look like you know what you're doing and you'll be sitting in the front row for the entire time assuming no one shows up with that ticket yeah correct uh, so the, the venues itself I, I've been to lots of shows where a lot of very good seats are are, are open and available um, you know I don't know why they take the time or they haven't taken that time and energy to complete that it's just a matter of time before they do
0: so we're moving in that direction but it does remain a bit, a bit of a puzzle why for most of recorded human history uh, artists and baseball teams now see so baseball teams is a little bit different because the San Francisco Giants kind of have a monopoly. Uh, it's granted by Major League Baseball, but it's sort of tolerated by Congress. And if they price the tickets at the market-clearing price for each game, which they could, they tend not to. Some now are starting to do it, but in general, they price it at one price all season long, same price for the a mediocre team versus a great team. And, and that creates an opportunity for ticket brokers to make a, a large profit, or somebody to make a profit, reselling those tickets at the true market price. You know, one view says is that if if they charge the market price, it would look kind of awkward. Uh, it's the people's team, and in this case, it kind of is the people's team. Uh, the city of San Francisco, I think, probably gives the Giants a pretty good deal on their
1: stadium. Is that correct? Um, I'm sure. When if you were to calculate the the total cost to the city, i.e., shutting down streets, providing police presence. Clean up after all the thousands of people that come through, um, the tax revenue generated by the the facility, and also the the employees of the San Francisco Giants, both blue collar and also the players. Um, you know, the Giants are, are getting a, a very very good deal,
0: and so it's kind of the taxpayers' team to some extent. And so the Giants really aren't free to charge the market clearing in price. That's different though from you know when uh, Dave Matthews shows up or. Um, Whoever is the hottest group it's a little harder to understand i i mentioned barbara streisand before because i know she's been kind of a pioneer in charging a market clearing price she doesn't perform very often she doesn't charge twenty dollars a ticket uh frank sinatra didn't charge twenty dollars a ticket at the end of his career
1: he charged closer to the market clearing price so um but there, there's also something to be said for for instance the giants have to worry about selling. 84 events meaning the 81 regular season home games along with the three preseason games every year So do they want to to sell uh, at the window? Uh, upper-level seat for $18 or $22 or whatever it may be every single game and have an employee there dealing with that every single game 84 times a year versus they can sell a season ticket that same exact seat $10 84 games, $840, you get your season ticket. Yeah, and, and there's a surety, a certainty of
0: getting the money, which is always a, a good thing in business. If you make the mistake in the wrong direction, not only do you give up money, you do have this performance issue that the quality of the team may suffer because there aren't as many people in the stands, and there's there's all kinds of other effects. So. Can I ask you a question about does for a podcast? Is it illegal to sell tickets here in San Francisco for more than the face value? I believe it is, yes. But that's, It is. Would you say but? That's not the area that I generally work in. So to get a good answer, you want to go to the main gate, the officers there are actually working that detail right now. They'll be able to give you specifics. What's your impression? Impression of what? Of whether you c- it's illegal. Oh I'm fairly certain it's illegal. I just don't know the exact semantics and specifics. Distances from the stadium and such. Okay. Is it... Is it, is it legal to sell tickets here in San Francisco for more than their face value? No, do you know? No, no. It's illegal? Is it illegal? No, I can't comment on all that. No? no? Well, they say it's illegal, but they can't comment on it. Interesting. Excuse me, sir. Someone said you would know the answer to this. Is it legal to sell tickets for more than their face value here in the city of San Francisco? The, oh, people do it every day. Is it legal? That I don't know. Why did those San Mateo officers think, county officers, think you would know? <laughs> I would have no idea, other than we all work together. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do for a living? I work here at Caltrain. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you know anything about the legality? Or is it just.? Uh... Uh, no, nothing about it whatsoever. Okay. Appreciate it. Okay, you're welcome. Maybe this gentleman will tell me. Excuse me, is, is it legal to sell tickets for more than their face value here in the city of San Francisco? I don't know. Don't know. Hmm. Okay, thanks. What? Uh huh. Okay. Those last few interviews were an attempt to get a police officer on tape saying it was illegal to scout, but legal what I'd been told earlier in the day by police officers. But not on tape. I love that guy who goes out on a limb and says he can't comment on it. What a media age we live in. All in all, a pretty interesting day. The free spot that guy was talking about is out in the space under the stadium in right field. You can actually stand behind a chain link fence at the field level and watch the game for three innings through the fence. Then they let the next people in line stand there for three innings. It's an organized not hole gang, a legal way to look through a hole in the fence. And it's a way for the Giants to feel better about charging close to the market price during the regular season, but still give kids and low-income fans a way to catch some baseball. And it's an awfully good deal during the All-Star game. Alex's bleacher tickets on StubHub did sell for about $360 apiece, so he split. And with about an hour to go before the game, I gave up on my fantasy of someone offering me six tickets. So, my wife and four kids could meet me at the game. I saw a lot of people holding up pieces of cardboard saying, I need a ticket. I headed home and watched the game on TV with my family. This is Econ Talk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. For more Econ Talk, go to econtalk.org, where you can also comment on today's podcast and find links and readings related to today's conversation. The sound engineer for EconTalk is Rich Goyette. I'm your host, Russ Roberts. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Monday.